0: Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I hope you're having a great day. It is now time for episode number 58. And, of course, we got an awesome guest. It's Dr. Sabine Hazen. Who is she? A world-renowned research gastroenterologist. She is based in California. And... She is an expert in fecal microbial transplants, FMT. Try to say that fast. I couldn't do it. Anyhow, FMT. So essentially, you're taking healthy poop from a healthy person and using that microbiome that's inside of there to be transplanted into somebody else who may not be doing so well and could have all kinds of disease, etc. Regardless, she's at the forefront of finding real solutions that can be accepted by our bodies to make us better, make us well, even help you lose weight. That's right. Could poop? Could somebody else's poop help you lose weight? And earmuffs, in case you have any young kids in the car. But she wrote a book, and it's called "Let's Talk Shit." Although the I uh, is upside down, like a uh, exclamation point. So, regardless, let's get to her interview. And uh, well, first, got to pay the bills, though. Of course, brought to you. By AtronTeal. AtronTeal. Get your daily polyphenols at com, or just go to LoveMyTummy.com. Get your daily polyphenols. That's right. Developed by my partner, Dr. Kenneth Brown, gastroenterologist. These polyphenols are terrific for you, whether you're having digestive issues, maybe you have symptoms that are similar to those of IBS, or you're just an athlete and you want to be your best. dot LoveMyTummy.com. Use code... Gut check and save, I believe, 20%. Next, of course, Unrefined Bakery. They've been a longtime supporter. Unrefinedbakery.com. Excellent, incredible food. Regardless of your specialty diet, that's Unrefinedbakery.com. If you are keto, paleo, or vegan, they've got it. And that is desserts, breads, etc. Pie crust. Yeah, pie crust. Do you think that you are gluten-free or celiac disease and you can't have pie crust? Unrefinedbakery.com. Use code GUTCHECK and save 20% off of your entire first order delivered to all of the lower 48 states. And last but not least, go to KBMDHealth.com to get your very own KBMD Health CBD and elite which is Sephirothane's or Autron Teal. You can get the signature package from Dr. Kenneth Brown, kbmdhealth.com. Now it is time for, oh, I'm sorry, kbmdhealth.com. Use code GCP to save 20% off of any order. Now it's time for episode number 58, Dr. Sabine Hazen.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 58 of the Gut Check Project. Ooh, today's a really, really cool one. We have Dr. Sabine Hazen, who will be our very first gastroenterologist as a guest. So I'm a gastroenterologist, but she's way smarter than I am and does all kinds of really cool stuff. Cool uh, stuff. I'll read a. What's that?
2: Cool stuff, yes.
1: Cool stuff indeed. It's awesome. So. Um, I put together a quick little bio for you. I apologize that uh, I don't have your probably standard bio, so I hope I get some of this stuff right. Uh, This is, oh, and you'll notice there's an empty seat here where my co-host, Dr. Um, Eric Rieger, CRNA, who's usually here on time. Uh, Don't do that. It'll make it blurry. It'll make it blurry. It'll, It'll get us out of focus. He almost photo us. us. Dr. Hazen, this is Eric Reiser. Hello,
2: Dr. Hazen. Hi, hi, Eric.
1: We've already been talking, and we practically had a whole podcast before this podcast. Yeah,
2: so. you yeah. missed it. Sorry.
0: Oh, no, that's okay. Easy. Another topic that I'd like to talk about is promptness and being on time. That's another thing that really, well, apparently I wasn't very good at today. So it, I'm really sorry. You
1: that. know what? It's, what's interesting, and I hope it's something that we can comment later, is that, um <laughs> Eric got a round of antibiotics, and ever since then, it's so weird. He's just always late for everything, and I'm blaming it on the
2: microbiome. 100%. I think we should test his microbiome. <laughs> will send you a kit. That's the first thing I do. <laughs>
1: All right, so Dr. Sabine Hazen is a board certified gastroenterologist and avid researcher. She has a thriving practice in Ventura, California, and she started her own clinical trial company 16 years ago called Ventura Clinical Trials and has been principal investigator and sub investigator in over 150 clinical trials. Now, you say that number, but I'm in like four, and it was exhausting. So 150, holy cow. <laughs> All right. So during this period, she became an expert in the microbiome with an interest in C. diff, Clostridium difficile. So through this process, she became one of the world's leaders in fecal microbial transplant. And through her research and expert and through her research and experience, she realized the unmet need to dive deeper into the microbiome. And she founded Progenobiome. So she is the founder of her own company, Progenobiome. And most recently, she published a fun, easy-to-read book for the layperson called Let's Talk Shit. <laughs> and I got it, and I read it, and I laughed a lot, and it's really good, and it's written in a great lay, layperson point of view, and I loved it. So, Dr. Hazen, you wanna talk some shit?
2: Talk, let's talk shit! For let's sure, talk some thank shit. God, at least finally, a podcast that's like willing to go there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't think we should talk about it or we should say another word. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Have you seen half the books that are out there? The Art of <laughs> Not Giving a F-U.
1: Oh, that's right. <laughs>
2: and that's like a number one bestseller. But let's talk shit. We can't even say the word shit. Since when is the F word more acceptable than the shit? Come on. It's not okay
1: <laughs> this is true unfortunately i think so. i think I'm, i use the words quite frequently both of them often so i i, I really I, do not discriminate
2: <laughs> i t- i named it that way because too often you know we we sugarcoat microbiome right we made it pretty but i think we're entering in a world of microbiome we got to tell the public and the consumer what it's all about and that's why I wanted it. First of all, I thought it was funny. I mean, this is like a tough topic, right? People come to us as GI doctors, bloated, gassy, symptoms of, you know, bowel changes, et cetera. And so we hope to, we have to explain to them and how do you explain a topic like the microbiome without, you know, a little bit of humor to digest it a little bit better? In my opinion, that's why I, I named it. So to. Give it full transparency. And then the other thing was to essentially, um, you know, make people smile because there's so many jokes you could say about it. So. I
1: heard you on another podcast where you're exactly right. As gastroenterologists, we have no problem talking about it. But I have the same issue with patients. They're like, oh, this is so embarrassing. I don't want to discuss this. I'm like, we have to discuss this. And then that goes from that to, okay, well, as long as you're comfortable with it, here's some pictures. I get
2: that all the time. I'm like, no pictures, please. Or, no pictures. or
0: sometimes randomly the nurse says they showed up with the bag and they didn't yes, flush yes. it. Yes,
2: okay. yes. Isn't our field great? I mean, you know, you, you probably know Neil Solman, right? Dr. Solman? Yeah, Sol- yeah. So Neil, when I was a fellow at University of Florida and I was presenting my research on visceral hyperalgesia, which was super clean, uh, would come to me and say, you better start getting your hands dirty because we're going into the shit business. I said, (laughs) no, please, they call me Gucci girl in the GI lab because if it's dirty, (laughs) if the colonoscopy was not clean, I was out of there. I'm like, sorry, we do the prep, come back next week. I'm not cleaning the patient, right? and then the mere mention of having to actually play with tools and putting it in there was just something i i never ever thought that would even happen to me and um you know when a patient is about to die from c diff and you've tried everything from you know antibodies after antibiotics to you know clinical trials and that was my 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 path right i was doing clinical trials and neil was doing fetal transplants and we met when I was doing a clinical trial on fecal material in a capsule because every time I would do a clinical trial for pharma, if the pharmaceutical product didn't work, I would do fecal transplant because I would say, well, you know, the patient trusted me to heal them and whether they got placebo or the drug didn't work, it's my obligation to, to make sure they're fine. So I would do fecal transplant on them. And then I discovered all these things. And of course, so I, you know, I blame Neil in a way for stepping into this because I've stepped in fully. And every day I play with it. I, I can tell you the first time I, I was, you know, looking at collecting stools, I think I almost passed out. Uh, but then you develop, you know, that uh, survivor or that, uh, you know, warrior mentality that you're like, I can do this, I can do this. I, I went into GI, I'm tough, I'm playing with scopes, I can do this. And that's what happened.
1: So I'm really curious about your history. Can you just give us a little background about like your family and where you came from, who you married? Because I, I find it all really interesting. Your 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 past is fantastic to where you've I'm ended sorry, up right I'm now.
2: increasing the volume. Um, so I'm uh, I was born in Morocco. Um, my parents, you know, my background is uh, I'm pretty much a mut like Spanish background, German you name it, it's all mixed in. Italian, I was happy to see on 23andMe, I have some Italian blood um, and Greek. So I'm a mutt. And essentially my parents immigrated to Montreal. I was raised in Montreal, um, went to medical school in Nova Scotia. Um, My siblings all went to McGill and wanted the McGill route and I went Dalhousie because I didn't wanna, you know, in my family, you had to live at home if you're going to college in Montreal. But if you go to college elsewhere, then that's the only exception to moving out of the house. So I said, okay, I'm going to Dalhousie. And Dalhousie was, was fun because it was, you got into the rotations of, of medicine right off, the, you know, from day one, you were seeing patients. So that was kind of fun for me. And then I was gonna go back to Montreal and I had a cold and I was interviewing for physicians for internal medicine and GI, uh, for internal medicine. I didn't even think I was gonna be a GI at the time and I got an interview at University of Miami Jackson Memorial Hospital and they paid for my plane ticket because they loved Canadians back then and they played for my hotel so I said oh free trip to Miami and then I show up in Miami and I'm interviewing I'm doing the interview and they're telling they're showing me like a room of 10 cat scans and you know, just like beautiful, huh? I mean, you've been, I don't know if you've been to Miami Jackson Memorial, it's it's a city in itself, yeah, right? Yeah, it is, wow. And back then, I mean, we had one cat scan in the whole country of Canada. I mean, in the whole country <laughs> of Canada, right? So you show up in Miami and you've got like 10 cat scans mm-hmm. in a room and it's like, and they, and then they sell you on Miami and they're like, oh, you could live in, you know, on the beach and then you could go to the hospital. I'm like, I'm there, I'm coming. So. I showed up and that was during the, the world of HIV, you know, that's when HIV was really, you know, really starting. And I'll, I remember here I am this, you know, kid that my parents kept like in a, you know, protected and clean environment. And then I'm, they're moving, I'm moving to Miami and I'm dealing with You know hiv like 12 hiv patients a night and patients are like throwing blood all over the walls and you remember the i don't know you're probably much younger than i am but you know this was this was war right and so me and neil and my colleagues from miami we we trained under those circumstances of patients coming and crashing from hiv kind of what we're seeing with covid right
1: yeah, so, it does have some, and and yes, I did have that. Yeah. We had our, our AIDS ward where you would have yes. to rotate, and then you'd have to make sure because their CD4 counts were so low that it, you, yes. you know, so you didn't want to give them any microbes that could potentially right. hurt them. We right. just didn't know back then.
2: You didn't know, and we were so scared, right? We were, if we got pricked by a needle, we, you know, you'd hear the residents like chopping their fingers. They were so... <laughs> and I remember, you know, going into... A room of a patient that was altered mental status and being dressed like an astronaut going into space. And I met my husband, by the way, in Jackson Memorial, first day of internship. um, And we became best friends because we were on call together. um, And it wasn't like scrubs or ER, although kind of, but it was kind of fun. We were together, we'd like work hard and do call and then we'd go party after on South Beach. So we met under the circumstances. And I think some of my best friends and, you know, I've been married to my husband almost 30 years. So I think that really, that environment really, uh, you know, bonded us forever, the memories, my colleagues, because it was really survival. And he used to joke because he used to say, you look like an astronaut going into space, going to see these patients. I'm like, I, I'm not coming Because we had TB, resistant TB. We oh, yeah. had HIV. We had all sorts of infections in that hospital. So it was really war zone. And at the same time, you're treating these patients that are swallowing bags of cocaine and in in condoms, right? And you have to like watch the bag evacuate. So it was really, it was intense. I mean, we were, I was taking care of, you know, HIV patients, criminals. I mean, it was just, it was uh, interesting times, but it forms you it makes you, you know, a tough doctor that you can survive, um, you know, helping people no matter who they are, right? So I think that, that was, it was great for me. It was a great education. It was a great, um, and then in Miami in residency, some guy said, uh, cause we were, do- my husband wanted to go into cardiology and I said, well, maybe I'll go into cardiology. And then some guy said to me, you know, we don't take, and, and I said, how's GI, is GI a good feel? It looks kind of fun. I mean, it's like surgery, but without doing surgeries. And he said, we don't take women in GI, so don't bother. Whoa, whoa. And that's all it took. It was, <laughs> okay.
0: You do now. The
1: right I'm then kidding. and there. Challenge
2: you, on, challenge taken.
1: You ripped off your space suit in this room full of AIDS people vomiting blood, and you're like, I'm gonna do GI. Yeah. i,
2: I got, do GI. I to
1: look in the lion.
0: You sound like you're talking shit, let's talk shit. <laughs> let's talk
2: shit. So basically, yeah, and back then GI, and it was actually a miracle because back then, GI was like the, the flexible sick where you're like, touching, you're like, Like, did you train with that? You were still, you were probably colonoscope, right?
1: I am actually a few years older than you. And so, um, yeah, so I went, so everything you're saying, I 100% did, but I will say this, you've got way more guts than I did. I interviewed at Miami and I went, I looked at the volume and what was going on because Miami had that. They had more, they had a bigger HIV population, tons of AIDS, lots of trauma, all that stuff. And I'm like, I like the warmth. So I was training in Nebraska and I just got sick of the cold. And so I just moved south. I just drew a line from California, Arizona, across. And it basically, Texas is like Midwest, but south. So I just, but Miami, I was, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if I do residency here, you're just not gonna sleep, ever.
2: (laughs) And actually I was sleeping because I came out so I was a Canadian trained. So we trained with like physical exams, right? You examine the patient and you actually say, oh, gallbladder problem just by doing, you know, Chobie space and percussion, et cetera. So, you know, it was much faster for me to, to take care of patients. So me and my husband used to have like, a, you know, he would, he would come in the car and he's like, you're sleeping? I didn't sleep a wink," <laughs> And I'm like, well, you know, and then we would have this competition of who would discharge the patient and treat the patient the fastest. So there would be a board and it'd be like Hazen and Steinberg and I'd have like 12 HIV patients and I'd be like, I'm giving them this, 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 that. And then, okay, they're fine out of the hospital one day and then it'd be like zero, Hazen, 20, Steinberg.
1: And then eventually he just made everybody DNR and just slowly <laughs> nah, started nah, out nah. With their names.
2: <laughs> he was, it was, it, you know, it was, uh, it, it we do things for challenges, right? I mean, we do I things. I love it. Ch- why do you go into medicine? Otherwise, if it's not to treat, that's what bothered me with this whole COVID. Is like, oh. it was the idea of doing nothing? I, the patients having shortness of breath, oxygen desats, and you do nothing. I, I couldn't understand that mentality because you have to try.
1: So I have a feeling that this that we're just going to go all over the map here. So I'm going to get yes. right off because there's something yes. I was super impressed that you did. You gave a lecture on COVID and ivermectin way yes. back. Yes. So now ivermectin, now all these things yes. that were being said are now coming to light and going, what the heck? Why are yes. not we? Yeah. How did you realize ivermectin fairly early well, it on?
2: Wasn't, so it wasn't, I started the protocol with the hydroxychloroquine, which went... Completely political, and my idea was well, makes sense, right? That's kind of like what we do with H. Pylori, multiple drug combo. So I thought, well, hydroxychloroquine as the thromycin would be killing the virus, and then vitamin C, D, and zinc would boost the microbiome, right? So in other words, you kill but you boost, right? So you re bring the balance. And so Dr. Ber- when hydroxychloro at the same time, Dr. Barodi said, you know what? I think ivermectin is a better solution because he was investigating himself. And you know, Dr. Barodi is the man we all follow for his leadership on fecal transplant, but also he was the one, the brain behind H. pylori and triple therapy. So he was the one that said combination therapy. And he's big on combination therapy. I mean, he's used combination therapy for two patients in Parkinson's, he published on that. So basically for me, it was uh, following his direction. And he said to me, you know what, we need to do ivermectin, doxycycline, zinc. And I said, yeah, but you gotta add the vitamin C and vitamin D. Nothing should be done without vitamin C and D because you're killing the virus. And in fact, the microbiome is gonna tell the story and it's gonna be amazing. Because I showed the data to um, Dr. Eamon Quigley and you know Dr. Mm. Quigley, right?
1: The godfather of probiotics.
2: Yes, and, and by the way, he was like, fantastic data. Fantastic, and he's on my paper that's coming out. So, oh, is he really? It, yeah, yeah. So I got I got uh, Dr. Bozkurt from Turkey. I do, I got Dr. Barodi, of course, in the paper, and Eamon Quigley. So, and it's basically blank, 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 susceptible marker for COVID nineteen, and oh, oh, we wow. know we're going to show in the microbiome why ivermectin is working.
1: Oh, that's cool. So look so- out for it. So both Eric and I are big fans of a podcast, um, Brett Weinstein, the Dark Horse yes. podcast. Yes. And he had the critical care doctor from New York. Uh, Pierre Corey? Yeah, Pierre yes. Corey. Yes. And I was just floored because, you know, like all of us, we, we, there's only so many hours in the day and we do quite a bit of research and I'm and Ivermectin caught me off guard. I went, I, was like I was, I was behind right. the curve huh. on that one. I looked back and went, how did I miss that? How did I miss Ivermectin? That's why I was so impressed that you were on it right away.
2: Yeah. And by the way, when you see what it's doing to the microbiome, it's going to be as clear as light. because what happened is because I have a CRO and I'm able to put these protocols through pipelines through the FDA. Uh-huh. And by the way, I did it because I had enough of pharma. You know, I had enough of putting these products. And then you saw with the Alzheimer's study, this Alzheimer drug goes into market and the benefits are like, you know, what's going on there? So I said, we need to have doctors lead the path for pharma. In other words, doctors come up with these solutions and bring them to to the FDA. And so I kind of started this with COVID was more of a lead to show, hey, look, I'm taking combination therapy, and I'm putting them through a pipeline. I wrote the protocol, and I submitted to the FDA. And the FDA approved it um, right off the bat the the fda then had second thought because they said well you need to have a placebo and i said a placebo in a placebo the covid of, in in the middle of a pandemic you i'm know, like that's have, like and i said cranium. that what yeah. and i said we're in the middle of a pandemic rome is burning are you asking me to use a bucket that doesn't have water to throw <laughs> <laughs> on the fire i mean that's a great we analogy. know that's that an awesome
1: okay the house is on fire i'm going to give you a bucket yeah and you're gonna get a bucket. Now go put it out. Yeah, yeah. And then watch yeah. one of those buckets. And one's of-
2: gonna have yeah. water and one's gonna have nothing. Makes one's perfect. One's have
1: yeah. One's gonna have gasoline more <laughs> yes. more than anything because we're talking about COVID here. I mean, it's like giving a placebo is like giving
0: gasoline. Okay, so something's burning. Send a fire truck and over here, send a school bus. So yeah, uh, it's. Really-
2: that's it. So that's basically what happened. And then we, I started um, when I submitted these protocols. I said, okay, fine. The 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 placebo is gonna be a vitamin. So we did vitamin versus the other thing. But what we discovered is when we started looking at the microbiome and looking at, we found COVID in the stools, whole genome sequencing, presented it at American College of Gastro, um, And then it got published, took six months to get published on gut pathogen because they couldn't believe it, right? They were, what is this real? We had to like submit, it was sent to the WHO. I mean, it was just a ridiculous, uh, you know, long time to get that paper published. And so when we started looking at the microbiome, we discovered something in the microbiome. And we discovered something in the microbiome of those that were super sick compared to those that were not so sick, compared to those who never got COVID to begin with, Mm -hmm. uh, but yet were exposed to patients with COVID. So we said. Wow, if this is a susceptible marker, it was so basically became like a susceptibility marker, right? And so we determined that if we don't know the baseline of the microbiome in a patient, and we're giving them placebo, and that person has those microbes are super high. In other words, where's your immunity in your gut, right? And your immunity at baseline is super high, and I'm giving you a sugar pill. Well, of course it doesn't matter because you already have like super strong microbiome to survive COVID. So is it fair to compare a placebo to a person, you know, that doesn't have a good microbiome? You know, you're comparing like an athlete running a marathon to a person on a wheelchair. Unless you know the microbiome, you're really doing placebo control trials useless in COVID in my opinion.
1: You're bringing up something that is I mean, could be a complete game changer in how pharma would do any yes. type of research in the future. Yes. Because what, we're, what you're saying is if you do not have, and we've discussed this kind of stuff on, the, on other podcasts, if you do not have a diverse microbiome, are you able to take full advantage of these medications that we believe are helping? Because right. the FDA determined that there's a safety profile on it. Therefore, it goes to the second trial. And then just like you said, in phase three and four trials, you're 6% better than placebo, so because of that, it's now a $14 billion drug that got bought by a bigger company.
2: Yes, absolutely. And, and we've, we are entering into a world of research now that is no longer research, in my opinion. Medicine is no longer an art, it's a business. Um, and that's scary to me, because that's not why I went into medicine. I'm sure that's not why you went into medicine we're all individuals we should all have an individual treatment we should we have the technology now especially with what we do at progena to understand with precision these microbes of the individual and the future is beautiful because it's going to be a readjustment of microbes to attain that precision medicine we need to get there we can't be stopped because roadblocks is what stops innovations and stops answers and we got to keep asking questions and say Is this this correct? Is this safe? Why are we doing this? Why are we not? The moment we stop asking questions, we stop science, we stop research, we stop finding answers. And then in my opinion, humanity is lost. I mean, you're talking about diversity. Look at the diversity of microbes over the last 100 years. We've gone from diverse microbiome to now undiverse. Look at 1980 the rate of autism was one in 2000. Now it's one in 20 in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Something is happening in the microbiome that we have to pay attention to. And is it the herbs we're giving? Is it these vitamins that are over the counter? It supposedly have the vitamins, right? Or is it the probiotics? Is it the right probiotics, the wrong probiotics? So I think all that um, we need to fine tune a little bit more.
1: Fine tune is an understatement. That is. And
2: I'm sure, like, people come to you and say, Doc, I want, I'm on this probiotic. And you're looking at this bottle and you're shaking your head, right? Probably.
1: Dr. Hazen, have you met Kieran Krishnan from Microbiome Labs? Yes. Yeah. Very, very, very smart microbiologist. We had him on the podcast and we discussed his exact thing about the fact do you know if it's alive? Do you know that you can get a a rail car, you know, like one of those big giant crates for like $2,000 from who knows yes. where. And then anyways, we, we went into the whole aspect of probiotics and how easy it is to make your own probiotic, Yes. put, put your label on it, but you have no idea if it's going to do that. You know, you have no idea if there's data it's going to survive. So absolutely on the same page. And I so, think
2: bacteria in the gut that's live is dangerous in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and that's in your book. You discussed
2: my hypothesis. Yeah. Well,
1: it's funny because in your book, you you had a brief segment about how um, yeah, people uh, in the desert, when they would get I don't dysentery, they would eat camel yes. dung. Yes, eat yes, and, yes, And Kieran brought up that exact same thing. Yes, you had yes. Soil based, soil based. People figured out early on that, that when yes. somebody got sick, they would eat the camel dung and they would get better. Which, yes. Um, and you brought it up there, which is fascinating.
2: Well, World War II, the soldiers were stuck, um, I, I forget where, but they, um, they had cholera, and that's how, you know, the Bedouins told them, um, just eat the apples from the camel, which is really the poop from the camel. And they cured the cholera all of a sudden.
1: Isn't that crazy?
2: I know. We're not gonna go into that because I don't think people wanna eat that, but I think we can understand the microbes that are playing, right? So that was my thing is we're heading into the world.
1: stop. I just saw Eric trying to order a camel off Amazon. No, no. no, You don't
0: need to do that. No, no! no, I've got a coupon for camel apples. Oh. That's what it is.
2: I already trademarked Sisters of Camelot, (laughs) (laughs) I was in Jordan with my sisters and we were on camels and of course you know they're pooping all over and, and it came to me i said i need to analyze the stools <laughs> so of course i took my because i did bring some uh kids with me and i'm i'm taking it i took it home and looked at it so i said okay we're starting sisters of camelot but we're not going to start that because i'm my plan well, is not to make people
1: eat because meat. of you you're the reason why when i'm coming back from a from a country and in customs, they're like, did you bring any animals? Do you have any food? Do you have any camel dung on you? And I'm like, why the would I have camel dung?
2: It's you, it's your fault. It was me, it was me. Actually one time my husband uh, brought an an apple to an island and actually we got fined. I think they got the memo. They were like, Dr. Hazen's coming. There's probably some microbes in there. Stay away, $200 fine. (laughs)
1: <laughs> all right, so yeah. we got so many things I would love to talk about, but I do yes. want to really hone in on Progena Biome yes. for several different reasons. Number one, I am also um, trying to run a different company and, you know, have the, all this stuff. You've got a lot of stuff going on. we got a lot of similarities in how your yes. enthusiasm and your need to keep your curiosity forces you to start other companies to sort of yes. meet the I- need that you're trying to find. So, can you please tell everybody what ProgenoBiome is?
2: So, ProgenoBiome is a genetic sequencing lab. What does that mean? It basically looks at the microbes, uh, the genetics of the microbes, so the fingerprint of your microbiome, um, kind of like your DNA, but the DNA of all your microbes that coexist and cohabitate in your gut. Um, it's so when, and I explained this: we have a choice when we look at the microbiome to look superficially. It's kind of like scuba diving and being at the ocean, in the top of the ocean and seeing guppies, or going super deep into the ocean and seeing the life. And so we go super deep with every patient, so we can look superficially and do a lot of patients with that cartridge. So when we do genetic sequencing, you have to take that stool sample, which is the size of a fingernail, and then we have to tag it and do library preps, they're called, and then we put them on these cartridges and then essentially the cartridge, we have a a choice. We can use the cartridge and do multiple development and see the surface, or we can go deep, deep and use that same cartridge into the depth. So we go into the depth of the microbiome to look at the microbes, the species, because that's what we want. We want species of microbes because we as doctors understand species. You know, to the rest of the for the forever, the world of microbiome has been Firmicutes, Bacteroides, right? But that's very superficial. So if you remember microbiology, you go phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. I don't want to be at the phylum. Phylum is like looking at planet Earth, right? I don't want to be at the class. That's like looking at London. I want to be almost at the family, to say Mr. and Mrs. Jones, but I really want to see the species to see the kid of Mr. and Mrs. Jones who has autism. The species tells the story, right? Because when you see mycoplasma for the first time, which is acellular, doesn't have a cell wall, and you see 40,000 sequences or 40,000 um, mycoplasma uh, shapes into the microbiome, you say, this kid has mycoplasma and that's the cause of his problem. Maybe, right? Because then the next step would be, well, what is mycoplasma secreting? And is mycoplasma secreting something and therefore active in that patient, or it's just a dead organism? But even if it's a dead organism, why does that kid have so much relative abundance of that? So really, it's looking at the species and understanding these species. Yesterday, I was excited because I had a Crohn's patient. So Remember, for Crohn's, I'm always looking for mycobacteria paratuberculosis, right? Because that was Dr. Barodi's idea that MAP is the cause of Crohn's, right? But, with, but other scientists have come in and says, said, well, Yersinia, Yersinia enterolytica is the cause of Crohn's. And then others have said Malassezia furfur. And so you look at all that and you go, well, which one is it? Is it Malassezia furfur? Is it Yersinia enterolytica? Is it MAP? So it's important to look at the species. And when you look at the species, you start going, wow, this patient has a lot of E. coli, a lot of Shigella, a lot of Hemophilus." There's definitely a dysbiosis there, right? Because we know that these microbes have been the culprit of problems. E. coli, chronic urinary tract infections, you know, Shigella, you know, all these bugs. So when you look at the species and you see the species and you can kind of make a correlation, it helps in the diagnosis, it helps guide you with the patient. And so to me, that's what it was basically, um, so that's why I started 42 clinical trials. We're actually up to 59 now on every diseases, because it was that look, every time a patient comes in with Crohn's, we would say Crohn's database going there. But what we discovered from the beginning with Progena Biome, when we looked at everyone, And that was uh, something that made me think, you know, what's out there like uBiome is not legit because they're comparing individuals to others, but we're all different. How can we be compared? So so the first thing we discovered with progenobiome is we're all different, which you know, I know, you know, by common sense, right? We all have different fingerprints. How can we have the same microbiome? And why would my microbiome that was in Jordan be compared to someone that lives in Greece, right? Completely different microbiome. But why am I healthy with this microbiome and this person is not healthy with that microbiome, right? That's the million dollar question. So we started noticing, well, if we are all different, how do we compare? How do we understand the microbiome? So the only thing that you can compare is really within the family. And then the other thing that you can compare Is within the individual. So, whenever you have a product that you want to give it, you have a patient with Crohn's and you attain a cure, and that was my thing that I would speak about at conferences attain a cure, understand the microbiome, right? Because if you attain a cure on the same patient and you see the microbiome before and after the cure, you know that something changed in the microbiome. And what was it that changed that obtained the cure? And so that's basically my path, is is looking at families. And then from there, once you have like a group of microbes that you've identified and said, okay, well, that makes sense. This is the bugs. These are the bugs that are related with Alzheimer's because I've improved the patient's memory. And now these bugs have disappeared. Now let me look at other groups and see if those bugs are in those patients with Alzheimer's. And let's come up with an assay that's a formula. So ideally what I want is the dictionary of all the bugs with diseases.
1: So let me back that up just a little bit. Yes. First of all, it's super fascinating and there's a lot going on here, but yes. as the, um, as a gastroenterologist, and I know that my colleagues get this, I, this. I, get, I get a lot, a lot of, of second opinions. And yes. so they'll come in and they'll just hand me this pile and inevitably there's some sort of stool analysis. Yes. And then somebody will circle things and then say, you need to take this supplement for this, this supplement for this, this supplement for right. this. And I've always just flipped it over and said, I'm, I'm sorry, just because we can analyze it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to make recommendations on this or that we can manipulate it. Right. So what you're saying, just to clarify, is that Progenobiome, your company, is doing a much deeper dive and making the association with diseases, Yes. With the person that comes in, so that you can at least develop a trend and start to predict how or what we need to do for it.
2: And the other thing we did is basically we created an assay that we felt were the 25, actually 50 most important microbes for disease, and we validated that. So, what does that mean? We took microbes that were cultured, we bought them, and we put them through the pipeline, and lo and behold, C. diff was C. diff because we had the microbe. So that's validation process, right? The second thing we did is we verified the validation process. In other words, let me repeat that stool sample. Am I getting um, the same value? And then let's reproduce it, right? So let's reproduce it at month one. Let's reproduce it by someone else. Another technician takes on the same standard operating procedure of how we develop this assay and basically reproduces the assay. So I was very big at the beginning and I hired a genetic sequencer, um, PhD physician who was actually behind the BRCA gene um, and is genius who developed the assay for me, with me. And I said to him from the beginning, I said, listen, I wanna be able to give you a stool sample and I want you to be able to reproduce the same thing. In other words, I give you my stool sample today, tomorrow, next year, it should be the same fingerprint the same exact colors. Because if I'm giving you a stool sample today and in a month, um, I'm giving you another stool sample, but it's no longer the same colors and the same fingerprint, well, you're comparing apples and oranges. And that was the whole problem with all these sequencing lab because I remember, and again, Neil Stolman, I would call him because like you, I was getting patients that would bring me stool samples and I would say, what does that mean? I mean, like bacteroides in your gut. What does that mean? And I would call, I would call um, neon is like nothing. It's all bogus. And I know there's a whole holistic path out there that has looked into this. But you know they have their vision. But unfortunately, you know we need to bring the holistic and we the idea that holistic um, healers have achieved and bring it into GI to understand it with the microbiome. In my opinion, right? Bring everything that's out there and say, okay, well, we all see this from this guy and this from this guy. Let's put it all together to say, yes, this is accurate information. This is valid, verified, and reproducible data. Because everything in science, you have to reproduce it, right? If I do fecal transplant on a patient that has alopecia areata, and my patient grows hair like Dr. Colleen Kelly, then I've just reproduced Dr. Colleen Kelly's data, and I could say, well, I did this ABCD like Dr. Kelly, and I got ABCD, the same thing, and my patient grew hair, right? So, reproduction of validation, verification, and reproduction of data is very important in research. But, you know, the problem is there's too many, we live in a world where people want to just fast, fast, uh, development of products, fast sell, you know, like sell a probiotic, sell this, sell that. And we've stopped the research because it takes time to do research, but it doesn't have to take time to do research.
1: Were you going to say something? Else?
0: Yeah, I had a quick question. So you've talked about the microbiome, and obviously you've been able to look at different diseases and then figure out where they match up and where they're the same. Something that's kind of interesting to me, though, is that locally, that makeup of that microbiome, of course, is at the local level in the colon. But mm-hmm. have y'all looked at the second level and tried to map out that it also matches, not just in, in, the, in the makeup of the microbiome, but what those postbiotic metabolites would look like, so that the systemic responses are also the same to mimic what, uh, what the makeup is? For
2: Absolutely the- an okay. excellent point. There's So the microbiome is different at every location in the colon. Mm-hmm. Um, that what we're doing is really a beginning of seeing what it's looking like at a deep level. Um, The next step that we're gonna do, and we're gonna be working with a company that developed a capsule that is guided, that takes a sample of stool from every different locations, um, where we can show with precision that the stomach microbiome looks like this the small bowel microbiome looks like this the cecum looks like this the transverse colon the so that's going to be coming because that with that technology hopefully we can deliver precision microbes to those areas to achieve cures in the future and you know capsule endoscopy i was the first one well one of the first doctors to start using it and that was the first time that we saw that i saw myself a parasite floating in the small bowel that was a revelation, right? When you look at the, at the sequencing of the microbiome and you see all these microbes, and I said that I found C. diff in my gut, um, you start going, wow, this, there's a mystery there that needs to be figured out. Yeah. Because yeah. the microbiome is everything. You're, you're born with a lot of good microbes, you die with very little good microbes, right? You would, and then the microbes consume your body and put you back into the earth. So from the earth to the earth, I mean, we're proving that uh, with the microbiome. So even on a, and I think for me, the biggest lesson about the microbiome is really that diversity is key to life, key to health. And I was just uh, speaking on the microbiome at a farm, polyphase farm, that's really big on regenerative farming. And so they believe in diversity of farming. They believe in you know, coconut, you can't just put like avocado trees. You got to put the avocados with the blueberry trees, with the tomatoes, with everything. And it's the diversity that creates um, the beauty of the soil and the amazing, you know, matrix of microbes underneath the ground that feeds us, really. So yeah, it's beautiful.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, they, they try to discourage monocropping now because it will destroy uh, the soil. Yeah. So right. they, they, want to, they want to switch it up. Yeah, you're right. You, well, and, I just,
2: and the Amazon jungle, they, they try to do that. They try to utilize things from the Amazon jungle. So, so
1: One more time, in your book, you're, you're not discussing the examples that you have in the book, but I was just thinking you had that great section on we should be doing green burials because yes. what we're not doing is giving our microbiomes back. We oh, have great. microbiomes um our trillions of microbiome we should give them back to the soil so that then other you know it'll fertilize plants we shouldn't be embalming ourselves we shouldn't we should be green burying and let that happen
2: we should we should so that's what we should be doing i have someone at the door but i'm gonna ignore them you can go get them you can
1: (laughs) bring them on on. let's bring them on the show for all you know i mean Listen, we we have some reach. Maybe Dr. Barodi saw this and said, "I'm gonna fly over there and say hi to her."
2: Yeah, that would be great. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> do you have him? <laughs> that would be awesome.
1: One quick question about progenobiome. and then you know, I
2: talk to Dr. Barodi like every day, two to three times a day. Well, oh, on do you? The same time zone. Love the man.
1: We'll have to. Genius. I've, Genius. I've never personally met him. Obviously, read tons of his tons of his work. Um, Eamon Quigley, I've met a, a, a ton of times and you know, he's just so yes. nice and so approachable and everything. Oh, nice. Quick question for you, not for Dr. Hazen, but to Sabine, is it Sabine or Sabine? Sabine, it's fine. Sabine, the, how I built this aspect. So as, a, as somebody that built Progena Biome, how did you think about organizing? Like that's stuff that's, that was really intimidating to me. How do you, how do you build a business?
2: Uh, you know, I built it basically, I just, my attitude with everything in life is I just jump in and I just <laughs> expect, you know, to find something. So I basically jumped into it. I saw, you know, it was, it was during the Woolsey fire, the whole backyard burned, and I was in communications with Dr. Feingold, who was the father of uh, bacteria, uh, anaerobic bacteria in the gut. He actually wrote the book, Anaerobic Infections. And I was in communications with him because earlier on uh, I had done a fecal transplant on a patient who had Alzheimer's, and he remembered his daughter's date of birth six months later. So to me, that was one of those you know, and Dr. Barotti likes to call it Martians. It's one of those Martians that comes in your front door and you say, "Wow, there's life on Mars." And so I called Dr. Feingold and I said, "What am I seeing when I change the mi- Which microbe am I seeing when I change the microbiome?" in a patient with Alzheimer and he remembers his daughter's date of birth. And Dr. Feingold said, you're seeing this bacteria that I cultured for so many years, nobody wanted to take on the the study and to support it. So I'm giving you the protocol, get yourself a next generation sequencer machine, get yourself a lab, a scientist. And he showed me the path, right? He was 97 years old. And he showed me the path, he gave me the paper, and then he put, I put it in my safe, cause I said, well, I'm not gonna start a genetic lab. That's like, you know, at least a couple million. And so what happened is he passed away during the Woolsey fire, my whole backyard burned. And the family calls me and they go, Dr. Hazen, we wanna give you like all the books of our dad. And he signed all his books. So I had like, I have about a thousand books in my, I, I picked up, I took a pickup truck and I picked up the books. My husband thought I was crazy. He's like our house is burning and you're picking up these books <laughs> and i said don't worry about the house i don't care this is more important this is legacy this is his work i wanted to take it on and i felt and i felt like it was like tag you're it right and about a month later i started communicating with dr brody because neil had introduced us at acg and said oh by the way sabine also cured Crohn's disease with fecal transplant and he said what he took my card and then called me in December and I said, by the way, I got um, the paperwork from, uh, I got everything and I, I found a couple of patents with you and Dr. Feingold. You guys were communicating together. He goes, wonderful man, wonderful scientist, brilliant mind. And I said, well, we gotta continue this. And then he said, by the way, I'm working with Dr. Adams who's publishing a data on autistic children post-fecal transplant. So I said, he said, be ready, you're gonna have the flood. This is Dr. Barodi. And I said, autism? I don't even know anything about autism. No way. And then next thing you know, I start my, my lab and I told my husband, I said, we're not rebuilding the backyard. I don't care about the house. I'm building a genetic sequencing lab. So he goes, sure, honey. And my, if you know my husband, my husband's a great guy. He's a cardiologist, you know, heart doctor, amazing. And he's like, yeah, sure, honey, do whatever you want. You want to analyze shit? Go for it. So, you know, so I said, okay, I'm buying a machine. So and it was kind of at that point in my life where you know my, you know, you your kids are growing up and you've done the raising and they're blooming on their own and you're, you know, at that point where you say, okay, well, what does my life mean? I'm no longer a mom. Okay, great. I'm a GI doctor. I do research for pharma, but now pharma is getting into the shit business and we don't even understand it so i saw this light and i just said i think this is my path and then lo and behold everything was just opened up i mean my first case of fecal transplant was a patient with metastatic mesothelioma that i submitted the protocol to the fda the fda thought i was crazy for wanting to put stools in a woman's colon who was dying but her hemoglobin was seven she wasn't eating anything she was dying i had to fight with them to let me do it and I saw her starting to crave chicken nuggets after the fecal transplant, the same cravings that her grandson had. So that was an open an eye-opener for me. She ended up living a lot more months than she was supposed to, um, to to begin with. She should have died within the month. But I think the fecal transplant really helped her. And I think we're seeing that with you know Andy Anderson's work with fecal transplant and chemo, et cetera. So I think. You know, so that was the path. I didn't really think of money because people always ask me, well, how do you support it? How do you venture? And I said, well, let me create a nonprofit. So I created a nonprofit. And then next thing you know, I wrote the book with Shelly and and everything. Like even Shelly came to me in my office. It was just like divine intervention. Shelly Alvarez.
1: Who is Shelly? I don't know her.
2: So Shelly is an author. She writes, you know, she writes books. And she, her husband... Um, was a friend of mine. And we started talking, he's a pilot. And he said, you know, and I said, I need to write this book. And he goes, why why don't you have Shelly help you? And she puts it in the book and she wrote, um, I I helped Dr. Hayes and get her shit together. (laughs) And then she did, because this is what happened. I gave her all my stack of papers and I said, this is chapter one, let's start chapter one. And then she started, so as she was building, and we were building that book. And then Dr. Brody, of course, every time we had a chapter, we're like, what do you think, is that said? He's like, I like the quotes. I like, you know, cause he's very much into, you know, quotes and old quotes from, you know, uh, people in the past. So we started, you know, writing. And then at the same time, I started building these protocols. And I had a team of writers that I basically, I had my, my, uh, my main writer that I said, you know, let's start writing these protocols. And little by little, it was built and, and, I, and Andreas showed me from day one a patient with Crohn's disease and he showed me the microbiome and i changed the microbiome. I played with it with certain products like you that I believed could change the gut. And I was able to reach a cure in this kid and I was able to see the cure in the microbiome. So before and after. And so when I saw that, I said, I have something. And then I saw C. diff in 17, the first 17 patients, I saw C. diff in all of them. So I said, you know, maybe we're wrong about C. diff. And I I actually challenged the industry, the infectious disease doctors, because I, I said, maybe we all have C. diff and maybe it's what we give our gut that kills off all the microbes, the diversity that causes C. diff to start secreting its toxin, right? And so, you know, infectious diseases are very pragmatic. They're like, well, if you didn't culture it, then it's not there. And I, and I kept saying, well, how do you culture a dead bacteria? How do you take a tree that's dead and expect to plant it? It doesn't work. I mean, you almost have to culture it anaerobically, right? And so I said, well, but the next generation sequencing shows the whole genetic sequence of the microbe, right? And then when we did. RNA pipeline, which is the, you know, so we have a bunch of pipelines when we look at microbes, right? So we actually can do a DNA pipeline that looks at our bacteria, or we can do an RNA pipeline, which looks at the bacteria reproducing. So if you see a microbe is reproducing and you see it high in the messenger RNA pipeline, then you know that this microbe is active.
1: That is yes. that's a game changer. That's awesome. Yes. That's a game yes. changer. We nobody be shorted. Nobody's, nobody, ever, said that nobody's ever said that before. Because I remember Mark Pim- You know who Mark Pimentel is in Cedars.
2: Yes, I, I remember.
1: I know Mark. So I remember Mark was describing. Well, when we're doing these stool studies, we're basically it's like going into a neighborhood and looking at the trash and then making these assumptions about the what's going on right. on the inside. That that's just trash, is what you're looking right. at. Oh, the mRNA. That's huge. That's big.
2: Yes. And then the, the metabolomes is the next step, right? Are those microbes secreting something? Like oh. I'm finding the vibrio in the gut, right? And we know the vibrio was linked with autism from Dr. Feingold. So he thought that the sulfavibrio or Clostridium perfringens could play a role with autism. Well, when you see the sulfavibrio in a family, in one kid that has autism and the rest of the family doesn't have autism, yeah and don't have it but the kid has 40% relative abundance of the sulfavibrio you don't even need to do metabolomic studies on that because you know that there's that's the problem most likely and in that kid fecal transplant would be a solution
1: oh that's so that's so cool um I talk to my patients uh, that especially people with certain food cravings are battling their weight and stuff and i'm like well it could be that you're not really it's not really you in control of your microbiome would you discuss briefly your two daughters yes. and your experience yes
2: yes so so i um, took antibiotics my young my old my oldest also and you know i have a hard time i used to eat like in miami i used to eat the whole tuna subway and you know would not gain a pound i eat a cucumber and i gain a pound and my little one <laughs> Eats 5,000, 10,000 calories. Sometimes she'll eat like a, one o'clock in the morning, a whole pizza and then an apple pie. Doesn't gain weight. She's a toothpick, right? And so we looked at the family microbiome, and actually, there is a group of microbes that is potentially the obesity marker. There's also a group of markers that are potentially the cholesterol. And so th- this is a new world, right, that we're entering. So Even with Alzheimer's, we're seeing similarities in the microbiome, so we need to understand. But more important, I think, than understanding the microbes is is understanding the environment of the microbes. Because you saw studies when they do, so we know that when we do fecal transplant, we are achieving improvement in patients, right? But you saw the studies where they removed the fecal material and they just had the liquid and they implanted it and they still got improvement, right? So something in the substance, something in the environment, the, the substances, I think, make a big, a big difference. Oh, yeah. It's all going to make sense to you when you read the paper with ivermectin.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. I, I just, I'm literally, like, thrilled. With and vitamin C
2: and vitamin D, because I'm going to be writing Linus Pauling was right. So <laughs> that's coming.
1: I have, we've, with everything you said there, I have a couple quick comments. Yes. Number one, your doorbell rang. And he did tell you that a Martian would show up on your front doorstep. That could have <laughs> been, and you just could've let been it walk a
2: Martian. away. Oh, well.
1: <laughs> and then um, I, gotta, I, have a, I have a quick story for you. Yes. That um, we were interviewing a fellow, uh, he was from Yale, and yes. this has got to be about eight to 10 years ago. So before fecal microbial transplant FMT was being discussed, mm-hmm. we're out to dinner with him. I took him to a nice steak restaurant here, here in my city. And I was asking him about his research, and he goes, well, what we're showing is, and he's talking, and the waitress was there, and she was like, this is interesting, and she was listening, and she was um, a little bit obese. And he goes, well, we're taking stool from skinny mice and giving it to um, fat mice, and those fat mice are losing weight, and then vice versa. And I was like, no, that's so cool, because it was like the first time I'd ever heard of it. He was a fellow doing the original research on this. And then the funniest thing happened. She was, once again, I said she was a little overweight. She looks over at this bus boy who's all of about 6'4", 120 pounds. She goes, Bill, you are the sexiest person in this restaurant right now. Because <laughs> he went on to say that if you live with somebody, you end up sharing the microbiome yes, yes, with each other. it's so true. Yeah, and she yells to this poor guy who's probably like 17. She's like, do you want to move in? Do you want to move in?
2: <laughs> like, so like, might
1: be a little premature, but I don't know. Maybe she wasn't, so.
2: Hey, you know what I do every day as a routine? I take my little one, my 17, and I rub my face to her. So I'm like, I want some of that microbiome on my skin. That's the best lotion right there. I mean, I don't need to put lotion on my face. See, <laughs> you know, you're,
1: so. you're, I, I'm, I'm scared that I'll ruin my kid's mojo by giving them my <laughs>
2: microbiome.
1: Yeah, that's a problem. They're, I've asked, they're great I, kids.
2: My, my little one who actually is a hypermetabolizer, that's what I call her. Um, I asked her to donate stools for me. I said, You know, your stools could be worth a lot of money because that right. could be cure for obesity. And I said, a thousand dollars for one sample, Scarlett. She's like, Nope, not giving it. I'm not I, gonna be a rabbit. She's like, I'm not gonna be a rat lab mom. She gave me one sample. That's it. That was all. That's it.
1: And this is, this is not hyperbole. In your book, you discuss about how the marathon runner, they took his stool, gave it to mice, and the mice immediately, with no extra training, could run 13% more than they could before.
0: Before we publish this uh, episode, we need to yes. get, get shitstudding.com and uh, have it ready to go, I'm just saying.
1: Well, I will give you credit. A lot of the things I come across, you do trademark. It's like you have an idea and you'll just like call your trademark attorney and they're just trademarking everything
2: yeah because so yes it's it's kind of funny because i you know in medicine and you know you come up with an idea a businessman takes an i takes your idea and makes a big company out of it and then you're like well wait a minute that was my idea how many doctors have i seen over the course of my career that have come up with cures and a businessman came took that cure and made it a business And the doctor now, you know, Dr. Feingold, his book is the beginning of so many uh, pharmaceutical companies because that was without his book, without that foundation, none of these pharmaceutical companies, you know, existed. And, you know, the fact that he had to struggle to get money for his research and keep putting all his money into his work, it was just not okay. And so when I started this and I started the company, I said to myself, First of all, I'm trademarking everything, and I learned from the best, Dr. Barodi, because he said, patent everything, trademark everything, because they will always say, somebody will take your idea and try to make something out of it. So the man is genius on multiple levels.
0: Yeah, I couldn't so, read more of that.
1: And the fact that you actually are doing what people don't realize, is that you're going down this microbial path, this fecal microbial path, and to get these studies done, you have to file these NDIs, these new drug. Um, yeah, it's expensive. It? Yeah, something
2: like that.
1: Something like that. It's I-N-D, new.
2: Yes. IND, that's Digital it. New drugs, yeah. Yeah,
1: go. IND. And, yeah, and that's, it's super expensive, and they make it, they make it difficult, or maybe yeah. they do on purpose or not, I don't know. I mean, obviously, as as an investigator, where we have to deal with that a little bit with our supplement, we kind of skirt the FDA, but we still have to walk such a careful line. You want to talk science, but if you start talking too much science, then you have to file that IND and all and Right. That
2: and I think, you know, it's not hard to file. It's not hard to do it. I think this is where doctors need to join forces because really, um, you know, we lose when we don't work together. When we were in residency and internship, we were collaborating together to fix right. the patient. You know, what happened with COVID was really sad to me because the collaboration disappeared. All of a sudden, the media is telling you how to take care of your patient. And and the politicians, and the whole time I was like, wait a minute, the moment a politician can tell me what Blatia does in COVID or Rosaburia or facilobacterium Pratsnitsi, let alone they should probably spell facilobacterium Pratsnitsi, never mind what it's doing. The moment a politician can tell me that, then I will respect what they're saying or a media person. But the reality is we're entering a world of microbes. I think we should let the people that are in the microbiome world lead that path and lead the treatment. At the end of the day, achieve success, listen to the people that achieve success. You know, those doctors on the front line that realize different methods to treat, forget ivermectin, let's talk about others, right? Colchicine, um, you know, cheap solutions, budesonide, um, you know, Eloquist, all these, uh, I think those were hints, right? When, when I have a patient that's oxygen saturation 73% and I'm freaking out because the patient doesn't want to go to the hospital, but I know he's going to die on my shift and I don't want him to die. I'm going to do everything in my power. So I'm going to give him everything I know and then I'm going to call you know, my buddies, you know, Brian Tyson, and say, Brian, what did you do with this? And then he would say, you know what, add this. And then Peter McCullough, what did you do? Add this. And so I think this is where the collaboration of physician comes into play, because we are the ones on the front line taking care of patients. And at the end of the day, who do you trust with your life? The doctors that guided you this way, right? I trusted with my life, Tom Barodi. Because- Yeah.
1: I just wanna ask a quick question on this because I saw that you have done presentations, you have submitted um, for different trials, you've done this. Have you, a lot of the doctors that have had the guts to do this have had backlash. Did you receive any backlash from social media, from the media, from anything?
2: So I'm, because I'm working with the FDA oversight and right now we're doing actually a clinical trial with the Department of Defense sponsoring it, which is another product altogether. Um, I've not had the backlash as much. I'm sure I've had backlash when I tried to advertise to get patients, Um, you know, definitely my, there were criticisms and, you know, and I always try to stay under the radar as much as possible talking about treatment. I'm more the microbiome girl and I don't think anybody really knows about the microbiome. And if they want to go one-on-one with me and start trashing me, Bring it on! The shit's just gonna be starting. <laughs> Love that. So, and I and I I, I called the book in, in in January because let's talk shit. Because I said, look, I could be full of shit or I could know my shit, but I think I know my shit. I so, think
0: you do. Too.
1: That is awesome.
2: So we'll see. I mean, it's a it's a path. It's a it's a discovery path. It's it's it needs to be done. And I think I say to people, if you stop the innovation, you're going to be the patient coming for an innovation that's not gonna be happening. You know, right now we get, how many patients do you get, probably as much as me, that want fecal transplant for Alzheimer's, for Parkinson's, for autism, et cetera. You can't offer it, we're not there yet.
1: So let me ask you this, so you've got your lab set up, you do a really good job. We were doing it heavily. Um, A guest stand-in for this podcast, Dr. Stuart Ackerman, him and I did a few of these super intelligent, The doctor, my colleague who trained in New York, we were lucky enough to steal him and bring him over about five years ago. He jumped all in um, on the the fecal transplant. And he signed up, he did everything. And then like overnight, he said, well, this was like in between the FDA saying it's a drug and this, and then he was able to get the frozen capsules. And then it was like overnight, it became cost prohibitory because something happened with the lab and we just quit doing it because we couldn't get it approved, insurance wouldn't pay, and suddenly it was super expensive. Right.
2: So that's the peer pressure and the lobbying power, right, mm-hmm. of lobbyists that basically, uh, and I'm going to say it out there because I think it needs to be told, um, you know, there is a lobbying movement that is basically stopping these these drugs, these, these cheap solutions, and I think, We need to stop that. We we need to fight as physicians for that because the moment we stop, you know, trying to do what was right for the patient, fecal transplant being one of them. I think all of us uh, that were doing fecal transplant joined forces in the microbiome meeting, the Malibu microbiome meeting that you probably saw, because of the fact that um, we saw that our ability to help patients were being cut we were doing, we were helping patients, we were doing, using a bank that was good, and that ability was cut. I, I think, you know, the onus is to go from that product that was sold of Open Biome to go to Finch, right, which is now a pharmaceutical product, then, you know, that's fine, as long as, you know, the data shows that it's working, et cetera. But I think, you know, stopping the right to try and doctors from doing fecal transplant or scaring them, you know, I still do fecal transplant. You know, who's going to stop me? I mean, the the FDA, you know, has said, you can do fecal transplant for C. diff, provided you do all these things. And even if you want to do it for autism, you have to submit an IND. Well, I just have to write the IND. I have to follow the protocol and follow the guidelines. Mm. Nobody's going to stop you if you're doing things the right way.
1: So you don't have to wait for them to approve the IND? Just no, no, submitting? you have
2: to wait for them to approve the uh, IND. But for C. diff, you can do fecal transplant. Yeah. You just have to follow, you don't need an IND for fecal transplant for C. diff.
1: Yeah, so I got a few questions. So when um, a few of our listeners heard that we were going to have you on, they submitted some questions, not easy okay. questions okay. either. Okay. So <clears throat> one of them is, unfortunately, somebody um had irritable bowel-like symptoms or probably SIBO went to a doctor in her country in Europe and received a fecal microbial transplant and she didn't feel very good two weeks afterwards went back he said well we just need to do it again and it's from the same super donor he has this what he calls super donor and she got it the second time and she spiked a fever started feeling really sick and then the third time um, he said, well, we just need to just, you just need more of it. That's what's happening. You're not taking it. And unfortunately, it did something that you have mentioned, even in your book, you mentioned it. It appears that it turned on something. And she has developed some autoimmune issues, alopecia, chagrins, things like that. And so th- the question that she had <clears throat> on this is, We know that there are some adverse reactions, you've discussed that there have been a few deaths and I think that they've figured out why. But in this case, what are your thoughts on the proper pre-transplant immune testing that should be done on either the donor or the recipient? And that's tough to
2: answer. Yes, so as I stepped in understanding the microbiome, I'm noticing that obviously if you've got a donor that has a lot of Prevotella and you already have a lot of Prevotella, so, the, the process of fecal transplant is more complex than just putting microbes, right? It's understanding what was at the baseline, what was the culprit of the problem, what was the microbes that were altered, and then, you know, what, con- what problems did it cause in the colon? In other words, is there an overgrown growth of something on the colonic wall? that is difficult that the microbes don't implant, for example, right? So there's three step process, right? So donor selection, first of all, microbiome analysis. I think as we get into the world of fecal transplant in the future, it's gonna be microbiome analysis, right? What does your microbiome look like at baseline? What microbes are affected? Who is your donor? Is your donor a family member or a bank? And how do you do the procedure so that you can maximize implantation, and then how do you sustain implantation, right? So there's four different steps, and all those steps are very important and very complex in their own rights. The first one, I think, uh, the baseline understanding the microbiome, you have to compare with everything that you've seen, that I have seen in the database, for example. So we're not there yet, right? to have a fingerprint of what Alzheimer's looks like, Parkinson, alopecia areata, to say to a patient, look, you're taking stool donors of a patient that has a risk of having Alzheimer's in the future, or Parkinson's because we saw some microbes in the stools that are potentially Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, right? You need to tell the risks versus benefits to the patients, right? So am I swapping C. diff for potential of having Alzheimer's? Am I swapping SIBO for potential of having alopecia areata? Those are the real risks when you think about it. Am I swapping C. diff for rheumatoid arthritis? You know, ALS, MS, etc. cetera. So obviously that's, that's part number one, is that discussion with the patient because right now we do not know. We, when we take stools from a donor and so even though I would love to take my little kids' stools in me and start losing weight much faster or eat you know, garbage so that I don't gain weight, um, unfortunately, I have to be conscientious that I could inherit something that is not matched with me and could give me something else. So until we know what we're doing, I think, in the microbiome space, and what those microbes are doing, I think it's a dangerous way. Of course, if the patient is dying and he has a grandchild and his choice is, you know what, I'm gonna use a grandchild or I choose to use a donor from a fecal bank, but I know the risk because I'm dying, I have Alzheimer's, I have ALS, I have Parkinson's, I have a debilitating chronic problem that I'm, or I have autism as a child, then those, parents, those kids, those parents, those people that have those debilitating conditions, I think would take the risk without knowing, right? But at the same time, we have to be careful in how we do it because it is still risky. Um, the other day I was talking to the FDA because we were trying to approve um, fecal transplant for autism on 30 kids. We got approved one kid that we're doing already. Of course, one kid doesn't tell you much. If the kid doesn't respond, Probably it's because he's too old. You know, this is a kid that's 19 years old. The microbiome is already set. He's got the neurological problems from it. So, you know, am I going to achieve success? Maybe, maybe not. If I achieve success, great. But we want to do 30 kids, right? And the FDA said to me, "Well, we should do placebo trial. Are you going to plan to do a placebo control trial?" And I said, "I'm not going to put a kid through a colonoscopy and give him placebo." I'm sorry, I draw the line there. And that's why I think the research that's coming out on COVID is really gonna be a game changer to start saying we need to relook at this placebo control trial. We need to start saying, let's do precision medicine and let's see what's happening with the microbiome before and after. So, you know, the beauty that we have in our in our lab is right now we're working on developing a validated assay. Verified, reproducible. We're seeing the data. We're publishing it. You know, the 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 uh, DDW is accepting my poster. ACG is accepting my poster. You know, you're validating my work. You know, so the data is being validated by my peers because they're seeing the data. I think we need to use that technology that was created of this assay, and we need to get insurance companies to approve it, so that every doctor around the country can start understanding the microbiome, but also develop The same protocol that Dr. Baruti used, the same protocol Neil Stolman used, Colleen Kelly, Paul Furstad, Alex Kuroz, you know, these giants that have been doing fecal transplant and have achieved 92 to 99 success in C. diff. We need to use those, those protocols. I think the problem is that too often people are in a rush. They want to have the solution right away. They're not willing to wait for the proper research to be done, and then they go to people that promise them an answer, and they charge a lot of money, and then what happens is they end up worse than they started off with. And that's not okay, in my opinion. You know, because safety is number one. You know, all disease begins in the gut. Hippocrates said that, and I think you've heard me say that. But also, do no harm came from him, right? We have to be careful. We have to be cautious with, with people transplant, with the microbiome world. And if there's a better solution, which is a, you know, a microbe that's, that's on the, that's in the earth, you know, then maybe that's the better solution. You know, if we, we, we need to go back to basics.
1: I absolutely cannot tell you how much I love hearing the way you're describing this. First of all, the way you described why you did it is your why you go, we have to be able to help. We have to first do no harm. Yes. And the way that you're describing it is almost like, well, if somebody finds a better way, I'll adapt to that. That's no yes. big deal. I'm not putting, this is not to start a business. This is yes. not to, no. you do have a business, you do have this incredible stuff going on, but the way you're describing it is you're willing to keep an open mind, yes. even on your own research, which is yes. awesome. That is fantastic.
2: Yes. And, and I'm listen, if I see that I'm, I think the, the FDA respects me and I've worked with them for years. They've been in my office. They've audited me for clinical trials for pharmaceutical companies. And I, I think the FDA respects me because I'm the kind of person that's very transparent. I, if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm, I'll admit that I'm wrong because that's what science is all about, right? Yes. If we knew what we were doing, it wouldn't be called science. Albert Einstein said that
0: being wrong is just an opportunity to learn i mean it really isn't being wrong doesn't mean that it's over it just simply means oh this isn't the correct way let's go a different way
2: you learn more from being wrong than from being right you learn more from the mistakes and i think even the mistakes need to be published because that's where you learn well Uh, i shouldn't be doing that
1: and you doing that right now at this stage of your career sends a message to your children which is so important that's what I always try and talk to my kids about, and he talks to his kids, that it's okay to fail. If you're not failing, you're not trying enough.
2: I failed so many times and I've, you know, and you learn from the failing and you make mistakes in life, right? Then you fall down to the rock bottom and then you climb up again and that's life, so.
1: All right, I need you to give some hope to a big group of people that um, there's a Facebook group, a closed Facebook group, it's the Colonic Inertia group. And one of the core members of that group emailed me and said, please tell me that she may have some data on FMT and colonic inertia. Do you, have you had any experience with that?
2: So Dr. Barardi is working on an amazing protocol. Um, He has seen some improvement uh, with his patients. Patients are going to him, you know, in Australia, they can do fecal transplant over there and there is hope coming into the future. So Colonic inertia might be a microbiome dysbiosis as well. So let's, let's hope.
0: Awesome.
1: Awesome,
2: yeah.
1: So. Um, we already covered that. We already covered that. Oh, uh, one thing about the adverse reactions. Do you feel like in the future you will have a protocol when someone has an adverse reaction?
2: Um, Adverse reactions from fecal from transplants. The,
1: from fecal transplant. specifically this one person that seemed to get worse after each one. Is there a way right. to take some... I
2: mean, back? I think the, the, the first step is understanding what's in the microbiome, right? So understanding, and, and we say we're research, we're willing to go into the research with them. Um, so we do give people consents and we give them kits, but we may not find anything. And, and the problem is once you you break something, how hard is it to re re put it back together? Right? So, you know, once you damage something, can you bring it back to the same shape? And that's the hard part. You're working with trillions of bugs that have been damaged. And once you've damaged them, can you put them all back together? And is that the right method for that colon? So it's complex.
1: Good answer. Do you have any other questions?
0: I think you've pretty much addressed everything that I could possibly want to say about the microbiome. But I mean, honestly, I think it's, it's a brilliant mechanism. I'm more intrigued by what is driving you to find these answers because it just resonates so much with what I think I've learned by working with Ken and uh, what we've been able to find as we keep trying to find correct purpose. And like you said, sometimes incorrect purpose in, in what we try and it's great honestly so I honestly thank you thanks for uh really putting some some meat behind what it means to analyze poop
1: well let's 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 talk about putting some meat behind this so I'm part of a really big group now yeah and Jim Weber and company and Harry Sarles and everybody that's doing research out there in my group GI Alliance we're up to 700 let's back Dr. Hazen here and help her just have (laughs) yes dump trucks full of poop just showing yes. up from dallas yes. and, and all over do the country yeah. Shit,
2: yeah. <laughs> yes do it in fact it's funny because i had a gi doctor from uh, santa monica and he came to look at my lab and he was kind of you know um wondering what it was all about and then he saw my lab and then he called his buddy and he goes, and of course she gave me a kit to analyze my poop. <laughs> but, you know, bring it on. I want to see from all over the world. I want to see China's, people that live in China versus people that live in America, Chinese, you know, Japanese. And, you know, I want to do 23andMe of the, of the gut. And that's really my goal. No, it makes it Yes, it makes I need to GI doctors. Yeah,
0: you're, you're individualizing medicine by knowing exactly what it is that yes. the patient needs. And I, I mean, that's just, we, we don't do that. When we say, yeah. give so-and-so X, Y, and Z milligrams of whatever. And it, it really just in anesthesia, for instance, it's all done by either ideal body weight or actual body weight. There's a lot more to what somebody's going to go through than just their, yes. their body weight. So no, I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, this
2: is. My husband always says, if he wants be to do anything, just give her a challenge. And I was, <laughs> to, so this was a big challenge. And for me, it was not really that hard because, you know, I said to myself, well, eventually I'm gonna be that patient. What if I have Parkinson's? Yeah. Who's gonna help me? And so I better figure it out now while I'm like youngish um, and, and, and figure it out for my future, right? Or what if my grandchild becomes autistic? You know, I mean, everything we do in life, every action leads to a reaction. And I like to think that if I do good, then goodness comes back to me. And I've been fortunate, you know, in my life and 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 uh, that I have to give back. This is my way to give back. So.
1: Right.
2: so I'm very happy to have all you guys. The biome squad needs more doctors. So we need all you guys. Picture biography, we'll put you on the website.
1: I'm all about I'm the biome squad but I'm gonna go ahead and recruit within my group. I'm I'm yeah, sure please. we've got some we got please. doctors now in all over of many, many different states wow dr hazen this was an amazing podcast my honor to be the stupidest person on this zoom call that is i love doing that you are clearly brilliant and my i want to call up the university of florida there the the uh, jackson it was jacksonville
2: jackson memorial
1: jackson memorial and thank that that person that said that they don't take women (laughs) because they did a huge huge service to the future of medicine I literally am hearing this and I'm just going, we're going to analyze people's stools before we put them on a high blood pressure medicine because yeah. we may believe that maybe that interacts with it. The the most rudimentary thing that happened to me was I've really bad allergies and ever they were, just I just nothing was helping them. Claritin D extended release and all this stuff. Well, I we were doing a little thing where we, I was going to do my colonoscopy wide awake and we had cameras there. We put it on YouTube huh? and when my partner got to my cecum there was a totally intact tablet that i had taken like like a long time before and it was i'm like well that's why my allergies are so bad this thing isn't even disintegrating because it's a it's a long it's a whatever it just went straight through yeah extended release now i have better results because i bite it so i'm like extended extending my ass
2: (laughs) no i know it's the same thing all these drugs and then it's also what are these drugs doing like i think one of the things Neil and Colleen Kelly, Neil Stolman and Colleen Kelly want to do, um, and they had the brilliance to start the Malibu Microbiome Meeting, to bring all these doctors to educate themselves on the microbiome, because as we learn things, we need to teach the doctors to bring them on. My thing was never a consumer product, or it was a research to bring the doctors, because exactly, if I teach you what I learned in the lab, then you treat your patients you know, that, that's really my goal and my role. Uh, but one of the things they wanted was to bring pharma to our, to our world to precise, to do precision medicine, to make sure that these new drugs don't affect the microbiome worse, and then to follow the microbiome of, of patients to make sure that, you know, the patient is fine, but then long-term, because we saw from antibiotics, you give antibiotics to patients, they're fine for their, they treated their pneumonia, but then later on it starts the chain reaction of diversity is lost now. And with loss of diversity, you know, uh, microbes and viruses penetrate. And definitely we're gonna be showing that. So once the papers are out, I'm gonna be calling you and saying, let's do the podcast, because you're gonna
1: have it. Sure, absolutely love it um wow thank you so much for taking the time to do this listening to everything you do i'm gonna quit complaining how busy i am i'm just gonna just get (laughs) back at it because you are you are an absolute machine and i love your energy i love your honesty and i love your why that is fantastic
2: thank you i think we have to ask why and i i have a chip on my shoulder you know it's never good enough (laughs) i'm always like questioning so when people challenge me i just like keep going so I'll show you. Watch me. Those are my two favorite Well, so, Dr. Sabine Hazen,
0: thank you so much for uh, joining so us much. on episode 58 of the Gut Check thank Project. Um, sorry, I was a little late. <laughs> but uh, completely Surprise. worth the deluge of information. And I just now looked over at Ken's phone. We've been going for over an hour and it feels like well, it feels like we've been talking 15 minutes. This has been
1: incredible. Yeah, and there's, I unfortunately, I feel like I can go another two hours. I've got a lot more notes, but I realize that everybody's time is valuable and we still have to do your second podcast once you publish the paper. Yeah. Yes, so yes. We'll ask those questions then. Thank
2: you then. so much. Thank,
0: Thank you all so much. We'll have uh, ways to connect with Dr. Hazen in the show notes and uh, anything
2: else, Kim?
1: No, that's great. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks, Thank Dr. You Dr. Hazen. You
0: bet. Thank you so oh, one
1: much. last Bye. thing. It. Oh, I mean, yeah. seriously.
2: Oh, yes.
0: Get the book.
1: Thanks. Let's talk shit. It's funny, it's good, and a lot of the stuff that she talks science here, she brings it to a lay level in the book. I thought it was great.
0: Awesome. You, That's sir. episode 58. We'll see y'all next time. Bye-bye.